0: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. The fun thing about the Flag Radio Network is that my voice right now is being broadcast into Canada. So someone in Canada right now is listening to this, and I think they might have to, they, they should hear what we have to say. Something that has always confused historians and something that almost every high school social studies student or college history student will learn is the transition from Rome. For Rome, from a republic to an empire, this is something that people have studied in great detail. And the question is usually posed in an essay format, sometimes in an AP world history or sometimes in a just world history context. Why did Rome go from a republic to an empire. There are many reasons why that gets articulated. Of course, the tension of the Roman Senate, the corruption there within, the inability to make decisions, and of course, the breaking up of the Roman, Roman triumphant. Julius Caesar, who came from the Gaul region, crossed the Rubicon, declaring, effectively, Roman civil war. Julius Caesar won, governed for a couple of years and, of course, was killed by his friends, best articulated in Shakespeare's play Julius Caesar. Beware the Ides of March. The words still resonate with us to this day. After Julius Caesar died, there was a question of what was Rome going to become. Well, Caesar Augustus, Caesar's nephew and heir, a very ambitious man, he decided to consolidate support. He allied with Mark Antony, of course, who was also a once friend of Julius Caesar, his uncle. And he was victorious. He also had an affair with Cleopatra, a separate issue for a different time. But then the Roman Senate decided to basically suspend its operation, and in 31 B.C., Caesar Augustus, who was then followed by Tiberius and many others, became Rome's first emperor. And like that, the republic was dead and the empire was born. Now this fascinates historians for a lot of different reasons. Because the question that those of us in the West ask is, how could you turn your back on representative government and go towards a dictatorship? How could you go from something that is enlightened to something that is more primal? How could you go something from something that is cultured to something that is more tribal? How could you go from something that is more organized to something that is more chaotic or centralized? This is a question that, if you have a good teacher, you wrestle with. And then the conclusion is like, well, thankfully, we have moved past that. Thankfully, in year 2022, we no longer have to go through the kind of arc of going from a republic or a democracy. Let's just use representative government as a filler to a dictatorship. And so but seldom, almost never. Do you get to see a country in real time go from that type of representative government to an empire overnight? We're actually used to the opposite. We're used to the opposite of these fairy tales of southeastern Asian countries like Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia shedding the dictatorships and going to representative government. We're used to the Arab Spring where we're supposed to believe somehow that Libya is going to be Louisiana just because we got rid of Muammar Gaddafi. We decided to drag him through the streets. The narrative that is usually told in the West is that because of us and our superior values, we go from, we help liberate people from dictatorships into democracy or into a representative government. But happening right now on our northern border, the opposite story is unfolding. It is the Roman story. In Canada, you have officially seen a country that was once a representative government, to a dictatorship. In the last 48 hours, Justin Trudeau has announced extraordinary war powers for 30 days, including the power to prohibit public assembly, travel, and use of specific property. Justin Trudeau is now officially gone to war with his citizens. Now, what's so interesting is that As we fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, Syria and Libya, as we tried to spread democracy across the entire planet, we did so for 20 years and spent $5 trillion and thousands of lives and hundreds of thousands of damaged lives to try to spread democracy. We have now seen the very ideology that we were sworn to try to eradicate the very menace we were trying to displace come to our own border in Ottawa. Justin Trudeau is mobilizing the shock troops all throughout Canada. He has full rights to shut down bank accounts, arrest people on demand. Justin Trudeau is emperor of Canada. And if you go back into the writings of the once Roman Republic, this is exactly why Julius Caesar said he needed power. Julius Caesar said, There are uprisings all across Rome. People are hungry. They're upset. It was the Roman equivalent of the trucker protests of the farmers that came to Rome and started to burn buildings. The only difference is the trucker protests are far more peaceful in today's time. Cut 38. Trudeau says, We'll always defend the rights of Canadians to peacefully assemble and to have freedom of expression, but these blockades are illegal. Play Cut 38. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. Cut 37. The deputy prime minister and minister of finance says we are just going to stop the money flow. Now, thankfully, She doesn't even know how to do this. Good luck regulating cryptocurrency. The only way you could regulate cryptocurrency this way, based on every expert I know in the crypto world, is to literally shut down the power, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility because these truckers really have Trudeau on the ropes. Play cut 37.
1: First, we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. These changes cover all forms of transactions, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrencies. The illegal blockades have highlighted the fact that crowdfunding platforms and some of the payment service providers they use are not fully captured under the Proceeds of Crime and Terrorist Financing Act.
0: So you might hate the truckers, you might not like what they stand for, but there's something much broader at play here. It's not even about vaccines, okay? It's not even about free speech. It's about the death of a system of government that is right next to America. So we go and invade Iraq because we don't like Saddam Hussein's form of government. We go and occupy Afghanistan for 20 years because we don't like the fact that there are goat-herding child molesters in the hills of the Kandahar Valley that don't allow eight-year-olds, eight-year-old girls to read. We go and try to have a proxy war against Bashar al-Assad, almost stumbling into a war with Russia because we don't like his form of government. Hillary Clinton gets like super excited. She gets like a real high level of pleasure to like displace Muammar Gaddafi and turning Libya into a civil war. But what does our ruling class do when the phantom or the ghost or the spirit of Muammar Gaddafi comes to Ottawa. We're going we're gonna to seize your crypto assets because we don't like your politics? Yeah, that's just the way it is. You are seeing a historical event of a civilizational model of a representative government become an empire. You know, usually when governments change... Their form or their structure, it's network news. Remember like the fall of Saigon with the helicopter imagery or the Iranian revolution or when Saddam Hussein's statue was dragged through the streets or even in Afghanistan when the Taliban took over Kabul again, typically when governments decide to transition from one philosophy to the other. Again, either from primal to enlightened or enlightened to primal or from culture to tribal or from chaos to organized or from separate parts to centralized. That's usually a really big deal. Usually network news say, wow, they're deciding to go a different direction. This is worth communicating to the general population. That sort of change is usually really compelling. It sells newspapers. It rates really well. So when Canada decides to be a completely different form of government, why is the entire Western media silent? Well, the answer is that answer is easy, because if the media actually did a full court press on Canada deciding consciously to metamorphosize its entire governmental structure, it would be really unpopular. People in Manhattan would say, oh, you know, I was all for this kind of COVID mandate thing, but I'm not really sure if I'm okay with Canada becoming Cuba. So let's go a level deeper here with the when it comes to the philosophy of what's happening in Canada. And I think one really important piece of tape to kind of set up this argument is cut 36, when Justin Trudeau said in an interview that he admired China's basic dictatorship play cut 36.
1: There's a level of of
0: uh, admiration I actually have for China um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know investing in solar I mean there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted uh, that I find quite interesting. Now, everyone kind of jokes. I think Stephen Harper was the opposition party candidate, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah. But this is a sentiment that is widely held amongst Western liberals. Now, before he decided to just lose his mind and become a really cantankerous person, one of the most important pieces of literature that articulates this is liberal fascism. Jonah Goldberg. I give him credit every time I mention it because it was one of the most important political books written over the last 40 years. And I think he misunderstands, obviously, Trump. I'm not getting into Jonah Goldberg. It's not worth it. But the book is really good. Now, if you want to know one of the key characteristics of fascism, it's very simple. If you want to write it down, you're like, how do you spot a fascist? Selective enforcement. Selective enforcement. So Trudeau, deep down, he has this inclination to try to liberate groups that have allegedly been oppressed. He's all about liberating LGBT groups, all about liberating black groups, all about liberating indigenous groups. But within the DNA of a Western liberal is a totalitarian waiting to get out. Most liberals, not all, not like Dave Rubin, not Glenn Greenwald, those people deserve to be complimented, not... Russell Brand, not Joe Rogan, who is whatever, but he's probably more classical liberal than not. Outside of those people, but the card-carrying people that are aggressively liberal, the entire live and let live bumper sticker, the I'm not going to interfere with your life, I'm going to do whatever we want to do, which Trudeau kind of ran on. Trudeau kind of ran on a very Canadian, Woodstocky. I'm not going to get in the way of you doing your business. You know, we're all Canadians together. But the warning that we have always put forward, we being constitutionalists and conservatives, is that we know that within these liberal advocacy groups, it quickly goes from let's go and free the disadvantaged groups, which is obviously a bunch of nonsense, to let's go seek revenge against the people that we consider to be oppressors, like that. And the issue is that the people that Trudeau has always been wanting to crush have decided to show up on his doorstep. Is that the domestic war that Trudeau has dreamed of, he just said that in that clip, I've always admired China, is that they preempted him. Is that the truckers, they struck first. They knew what was coming. They went all in. They knew that their livelihood and their traditions and their values, it was just a matter of time before they were crushed. They forced Trudeau's hand. And so now Trudeau has made a decision. He's decided to invade his own country using an equivalent of martial law against his own people.
1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program
0: is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.
1: This is Carol Platt-Lebow for TownHall.com. There was big news over the weekend from special counsel John Durham charged with investigating the Trump Russiagate hoax. The special counsel has alleged the Clinton campaign paid a tech company to infiltrate servers belonging to Trump Tower and later the White House. The plan was to create the appearance that Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians. In short, the special counsel believes Trump's political enemies spied on and lied about an opponent and then, more seriously, the president of the United States in order to drive him from office. If true, it's a mind-blowing atrocity. Political wrongdoing doesn't get more serious than that. Yet there's been barely a peep from the legacy media, and it's not hard to understand why. They're the ones who embraced the Russiagate narrative and drove it, reporting night after night on how the walls were closing in on President Trump. Covering its implosion reveals them for what they are, corrupt, craven partisans. I'm Carol Platt-Lebow.